Good morning, church. We are starting a new sermon series in 2 Peter, and we, uh, we're t- we've titled this sermon series, While We Wait. Uh, we, we a few months ago decided that we were going we to do 2 Peter um, to round out the summer, um, because back in March and April, we thought, you know, it's possible that come July and August that, that things won't be back to normal yet, that we might still be in lockdown. And uh, little did we know that the rest of the country would, would be experiencing the worst of coronavirus right now. And, and so but we wanted, to, we wanted to preach on what do we do while we wait for things to get better? How, what do we do while we wait? Um, and, or when it feels like the world is ending, what do we do? And there's a, lot of, there's a lot of books in the Bible that would be great to preach on. And 2 Peter is one of them. And 2 Peter, uh, Peter is nearing the end of his life. He knows he's going he's gonna to die soon. And he's addressing the question of, of what do we do when we're waiting for Christ's return? And that can feel like a long time or we can, it can feel like it's sudden. Um, like we don't have a lot of time in Peter's case. And Peter says, you know what? Because the time is short, pursue holiness. The time is short, so pursue holiness. And so that's what we're going to be looking at um, these next few weeks. So as we start off um, our uh, series, let me uh, read to you um, our passage. So verses 1 through 15. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. As we dive into this passage, we're going to look at three things. What God has done, what we need to do, and how we can do it. So first, what God has done, what we need to do, and how we can do it. So first, what God has done. Well, Peter tells us God has given us everything we need for a godly life. Now, what, so what has God given us? Well, in other religions, what, what do we need 
And what, what does it start with? Well, other religions start with, here are the rules, here are the regulations. Do these things. So if you want to achieve nirvana, here's this eightfold path, follow this path. In Islam, if you want Allah to welcome you, there's these, these pillars um, that you observe. So there's rituals, there's moral rules. Other religions start with offering us advice. But Christianity offers a savior. Because what we need to live a godly life is a savior. <laughs> because what the Bible teaches is that our problem is not that we lack good advice. Our problem isn't primarily that we need better rules um, and that we need the right rituals. Our problem is we need to be reconciled to God because being like God, and that's what living a godly life means, right? Having life in its fullest, experiencing the kingdom of God in our day-to-day -day and being like him, right? So that's why um, Peter talks to us about becoming partakers of the divine nature. That doesn't mean that we become divine. It means we have deep, intimate relationship with God and we become like him. Being like God and being in relationship with him requires reconciliation. And God has provided a savior, right? That's why Peter, really, he starts his letter. He says, right, those who have obtained a faith, obtained, that's received as a gift, a faith by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Peter's saying, look, starting point, God has done everything that we need. Right? That's what he said. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And the first thing he's given us is a Savior. And God acted first. You know, this is the major difference between Christianity and every other religion. God acts first. We sometimes say that the gospel is that we are more wicked than we ever could imagine, but in Jesus we're more loved than we could ever hope. And you know, another way we could say that is our problem is more insurmountable than we could ever imagine. Our problem is so bad, and we don't realize it, that it's hopeless. Apart from God, it's hopeless. There's nothing we can do to fix it. You know, and sometimes, apart from God's grace, our attempts to fix the problem just makes it worse. No, the gospel is that we are hopeless, but God did something. God acted. God gave us a Savior. God, in, indeed, he, he gave us a faith to receive that Savior. God has given us reconciliation. God has given us forgiveness. God has given us everything we need. But Peter doesn't say, God has given us everything we need for forgiveness, though of course he could. He doesn't say God has given us everything we need for reconciliation. He, doesn't, he says more than that. He says God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. Because the purpose of our salvation is godliness. The reason that God rescues us, reconciles us, forgives us, is in relationship with us, is so that we can live like him. So that we can love God and love our neighbors. Right? If you want to summarize, what is godliness? It's loving God with all of our soul and heart and mind and strength and loving our neighbors as ourselves and feeling God's delight and enjoyment as we do it. And so God has given us all the tools we need because he's given us reconciliation, but he's also given us, well, Peter tells us, he says, we've gotten the knowledge of God 
right? So we know what he's done for us. We know what he's like. We know what he desires. He also says we've got his promises, right? Um, he's, in verse 4, it says, He has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them we become partakers of the divine nature. You know why Peter's telling, reminding us of not only the knowledge, but also the promises? is because it's an assurance that God is going to love us and to forgive us. And it's assurance that our faith is received because our faith depends on God's promises. We can be assured that God has given us what we need. God promised to love us. God promised to forgive us. God promises to make us like him. We, you know, we read about this in Philippians, that God has begun a work and he will complete the work. That's a promise. And so God, in his promise, has given us what we need to, to do this. So Peter says, God has given us all the tools we need. What has God done? He's given us everything we need for a godly life. Other religions start with advice. God has given us a savior and promises and the Holy Spirit at work in us. He's given us everything. So that's our first point. God has done everything. So second point, what do we need to do? And if you had a, a mindset of traditional religion, right? If you had a mindset of there's these things that you need to accomplish, these rules to observe, these rituals to obey, and then somebody tells you it's been done for you, it's been paid. You might think that the response is, therefore you do nothing. Rest, relax, sit back, enjoy your salvation, which you've received as a gift. And that's partly right. And I say it's only partly right because we do sit back and rest and relax and receive it as a gift. But Peter's conclusion is, for this very reason, because of everything we've just said, because God's done it all, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and knowledge, etc. So what do we need to do? Make we need to make every effort. You might say, I'm sorry, what? Well, let's explain this. Let's look. What? So what is he telling us to make every effort to do? So he says, make every effort to, to supplement your faith. And that can be really surprising because, right, we would say we're we're saved, what it means to be a Christian is you're saved by grace through faith. And like the, the big insight, the whole point of the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther, was you're saved by grace through faith alone. Faith alone. Your works don't save you. Your observances don't save you. We're saved through faith alone. And then here's Peter saying, supplement your faith. And so you might say, do we need, do we need more than faith? No. The word supplement, uh, you know, in the Greek, it, I think a better word would be furnish your faith. Peter is saying furnish your faith with all these qualities and characteristics, right? So virtue, knowledge, uh, leading to love. Now, what, you know, what does it mean to furnish something, right? Well, you know, if you're if you're renting an apartment, you could rent out an apartment that's that's furnished or unfurnished, and then right, what's that mean? It's an apartment that is furnished. It's got inside of it everything that you need for it to be livable, right? It's got the uh, it's got the furniture. It's got the furniture you need so that you can move in and live in it. Because an apartment that's unfurnished, I mean, you got to furnish it. 
Otherwise, like, you can be there, but it's not. You can live in it, but it's not. It's not living. Like, nobody says, well, I've got this unfurnished apartment and, well, I'll hang out like this for a while. No, you furnish it. Because the point of the apartment, like, yeah, all you need is the apartment to, you know, like, if you need a place to stay, then you've got it. But the apartment's not really doing its job until it's furnished. And furnished could also refer to uh, a warship being furnished, right? The supplies it needs to go off to war. Or like a, a theater troupe being furnished, receiving the, the things that it needs in order to, to put on the show. So what is Peter telling us? He's saying, furnish your faith. You've got your faith. The faith is the thing you need, the thing that saves you. It's also the thing that's going to bring you to a godly life. But if your faith is going to, to, to do what it's meant for, it needs these qualities to fill it out. Okay? And so he says, make every effort. And you can think of it this way. Like when a, when a student comes to, to Williams and they might say, I don't, I don't feel prepared. And a lot of students come, they're not prepared. And Williams knows that. And Williams says, we have done everything to, pro to provide every resource you need. So if you take advantage of these resources, you will succeed. Williams doesn't say, though they, they could easily say, they could say, you know what, let's be honest, there's great inflation. Just show up to class and you'll pass and you'll get your diploma. They could say that, but they don't say that. And, you know, they don't say that. They say, make every effort because everything you need to succeed is there. That's what Paul, Peter is saying. Because God has provided everything we need, knowledge, promises, Savior, Holy Spirit, make every effort. This is the same message that Paul gave us in Philippians. Make every effort to take hold of what God has given you. Okay, so what so what is so that's what we're doing. We're gonna make every effort to do what? Well, so he makes this long list, right? Virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love. Ending with love. This list of characteristics ending in love. And you know, it might remind you of of, of a passage in Paul in Galatians, where Paul makes a similar argument. He says, if you're if you're walking by the Spirit, then you're gonna bear fruit. Right? And, and Peter says, right, if you have these qualities, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. Right? So Paul also says, if you want to bear, if you're gonna, if the spirit bears fruit in your life, he says you'll bear love and then joy and peace and, and self-control. It's quite a lot of overlap, very similar. What's the point? The point is Peter is saying you need these qualities leading to love. Paul is saying you need love that leads to these qualities, because there's a back and forth. These qualities will lead us to love. And the point of these qualities is to love. And Paul gives us an image of what it means. He says, bear one another's burdens, and in so doing, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So that's the image. You know, This is what we're to make every effort to bear one another's burdens. If we do that, we will be, we'll, we'll be obeying Peter's command. Now, Bearing one another's burdens is a really helpful image because uh, think about it, right? In order to bear one another's burdens, that means somebody else has got a weight that they're carrying and we're going to come over and we're not just going to like say like, hey, you can do it. We're not just going to encourage them. We're going to say, 
hey, let me help you. And the weight that's on your shoulders, it's going to come onto mine. And it's your burden is going to become my burden. Your burden becomes my burden. And I'm going to carry that weight with you. I'm not just going to make it yours. I'm not going to see you with a burden and say, wow, God has granted you an opportunity to suffer. Good luck with that by yourself. Loving our brothers and sisters means we see your burden, we say, I'm going to help you bear that. And doing that well requires these characteristics. Because, you know, let's think about it. Imagine I go to, to my buddy Tim Wall, who is physically and spiritually stronger than I am, right? And I see him, and he's got this 600-pound boulder on his back. And I go up to, to Tim, and I say, Tim, let me help you with that burden, right? And he says, uh, okay. And, uh... And he, and he lets 300 pounds of that, 600, come on to me. He asks, what's going to happen? Well, it's going to be like those cartoons where people get like hammered into the ground, you know, like, like Wile E. Coyote. Like, the thing's going to crush me. I can't bear 300 pounds. I'm not strong enough to help somebody with a 600-pound burden. So I need spiritual strength. I need knowledge. I need self-control. I need steadfastness, right? That's integrity and faithfulness and keeping on. I need godliness. I need brotherly affection. Because when I, when I see somebody with a burden, I need to feel affection toward that brother or sister in order to help them. I need to see them, and I need to be strong enough, and I need to know what those burdens are. And so... Loving one another requires effort because we got to be strong enough. We got to know what burdens are our brothers and sisters carrying. Because if we don't know, we can't help. And we're told make every effort. Now, this all sounds good, and I, I kind of want to tease out a little bit because this is we don't do this well. This is hard, and I and I don't want this to go in one ear and out the other. And we sit here and nod and say, mm -hmm, "Yeah, we're going to work hard, bear another one another's burdens." I want to paint a picture of how, ways that we fail at this. Okay, so um, so let, let me give you another picture. Uh, so Tyler and I were, were riding. We went on a bike ride this week, and he had a, a big crash. Uh, details don't matter, but he was hurt pretty bad, but he's fine because he's super tough. So we're, we're riding back, and, and we're riding side by side because he's, he's really – I mean, he was super banged up. His hand, his arm, like his pants were all torn from the crash and he's bleeding. Um, he's bleeding, you know. Uh, and so we're riding side by side slowly and we're, we're taking up a legal amount of the lane just for the record. Um, but we're, you know, we're side by side because I want to, you know, we want to make sure he's okay. And as we're going along, um, at some point, this truck just like veers around us and just lays on his horn because he's mad at us, right? He's like, you guys are taking up more space than I want and you're going slowly. And he just, you know, he lets us know that he was upset. And Tyler looks at me and he's like, he's in despair. He's really hurting. And he says to me, I wonder if he would have honked at us if he knew I was bleeding. Right? If, if he knew that I'm struggling here, would he have been so mad? And, and of course, the answer is, is, is no. Like, Except for sociopaths, like when we see that people are really hurt, we are moved into compassion. Friends, to love our brothers and sisters well, 
sometimes we need to recognize that they're bleeding. You know, sometimes we see things and it doesn't make sense to us. And we need to not be quick to get upset and honk our horns. We need to want ask ourselves, like, are they bleeding? But I, uh, what's really distressing to me, and this is a hard point to make, is I know that right now there's a lot of Christians in the world and they're saying, they're trying to say, we are bleeding. We've been bleeding for a long time. And the response they're getting, you know, especially like on social media, the response they're getting is, no, you're not. Or, or worse, they'll say like, you're deceived, right? The, the media has deceived you into thinking you're bleeding, but you're not. You're so gullible and naive that they deceived you, but you're not. You're not bleeding. And, uh, you know, let, 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 you know let, me, let me give you an example. I know this sounds abstract. Let me, let me give you some things that you should never say. You would never say. So, like, I have a friend who, uh, when, when he was in high school, his brother committed suicide. And that, you know, then he, and then my friend was in this horrible, like, he was addicted to drugs for years and years. And he eventually became a Christian. And he can see how it all, so he became a Christian. And he's grateful that he's a Christian. But you would never go to him and say, you should be grateful that your brother committed suicide. Like, you wouldn't say that. You can say... Thank God something good came of that. But, my God, I, I mourn that your brother committed suicide. That's horrible. Right? Or, or, you know, if your son is walking away from the faith and is living a life of drugs and is on the road to perdition, but it's led you to greater trust in God. Right? If somebody came to you and said, you should be grateful that your son is on the road to hell. You would say, no, no, no. I'm grateful that I trust God more, but I'm not grateful that my son is lost. Right? You wouldn't say that. You wouldn't. Right? None of you should go to modern-day Israel and walk around and say out loud, y'all should be grateful for the Holocaust because look at this great state that you have now. Right? That's, that's like insane. Right? I hope everybody hears. That would be insane. But what I hear a lot of Christians saying to our Black brothers and sisters is, you should be grateful that slavery happened because now you're here. And, you know, if you don't realize that that's an insensitive, hurtful, lacking brotherly affection thing to say, let me tell you, that is insensitive. That's like saying you should be grateful for the Holocaust. Our, our, our brothers and sisters can be grateful to be in this country, but they don't have to be great. They should not be grateful. No person in history should be grateful for the evils of slavery. So making every effort means we got to stop saying stuff like that. And I, you know, I'm not on social media, so I don't, I don't see it, but I, I know that these are things that people are saying. Now, we need, we need to be reminded of this, right? And Peter, Peter tells us, right? Peter, actually, he says at the end, he says, I'm going to make every effort to remind you of these things. I'm going to die soon. I'm going to make every effort to remind you to make every effort. And he, he gives us, you know, why? Why? Well, he tells us, if you have these qualities, you'll, it'll, you'll be fruitful. But if not, whoever lacks these qualities, he says, is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Do you hear that? Peter doesn't quite say you're not a Christian. 
he doesn't really, he says, you've forgotten that you were cleansed. See, all right, so you were cleansed. But, you know, you're so nearsighted that you're blind, which is like a, he's making a point. He's saying, you are essentially blind. You remember, like, sometimes in Christianity we say, I was blind, but now I see. Peter is saying, you've gone back to being blind. If you are not making every effort, if you are not putting on these virtues, if you are saying, you know, horrible things to our brothers and sisters who are bleeding, if you're saying, like, well, you should be grateful for your wound, he said, you are blind. You are not living as if you are a Christian. He didn't rule out that he's not saying that he, right? He says, you're forgetting that you were cleansed from your former sins. It's a strong word of urgency and warning. So he reminds us, make every effort. And why does he remind us? And he's gonna, he says, I'm gonna make every effort to remind you to make every effort. Because it's obvious. We don't make every effort. I I know I don't make every effort. I make some effort, right? Or, or maybe I make a lot of effort for these people, but not those, or in this situation, but not these situations. We don't make every effort. We, we hold back because there's things that we want more than making every effort. We want an easy life. We want a, a comfortable life. We want a safe life. Or we just, you know, there's just some things that are painful and we don't want to deal with. We don't want that burden on our shoulders. So we make some effort. But Peter is saying, no, you need to make every effort. And he's telling us because we don't. We don't. We don't make every effort. So God has done everything and we need to make every effort, but we don't. So how can we? How can we begin to? So how can we do it? Uh, the doctrine of election. I'm sure you're sitting back saying, what? Well, Peter says in verse 10, he says, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Now, some people say, I don't like the doctrine of election. You know what? The Bible doesn't care if you like it or not. It's there. In fact, Peter is saying the answer, the motivation to make every effort is to confirm your calling and election. So we don't have a lot of time. We could spend a whole series on this. I just want to give you two questions that will summarize what is the doctrine of election and how you answer these questions uh, indicate if you understand what the Bible teaches or not. So first question, can anything stop God from loving the people he's going to love? Can anything stop God from loving people he wants to love? And second, does Jesus save you or do you? Who saves, Jesus or you? And that, that's election. God loves you and he's not going to leave anything up to chance. If he says, I'm going to love that person, he's going to do it. And nothing will stand in his way. And if Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Jesus doesn't like provide an opportunity and then God says, well, I don't know, like they have to accept it in faith and maybe they won't. No, our faith is a gift, right? Verse one, obtained a faith. And that word for obtained is to receive as a gift. We receive our faith, faith as a gift. Grace is a gift. Salvation is a gift. God gives it to us. Why? Because he's going to love you and nothing's going to stop you. Nothing's going to stop him. And because Jesus saves, it's not Jesus and your faith saves you. Jesus saves through your faith, which he gives you. Why is this important? 
The doctrine of election everywhere in the New Testament, the point is assurance. You can know that you are saved. Why? Because it depends on God. It depends on God's love. It depends on God's purposes. It depends on God's promises. It depends on God, not on you. So election, knowing that you are saved by grace, by God's good choosing, it leads to gratitude and not to boasting because being chosen doesn't mean your choice. God didn't choose you because you were worthy, right? God didn't choose you because there was something you did to deserve it. Au contraire, God chose you just because he chose you. And so we can have assurance. We, no, we don't ever have to doubt, why did God choose me? Just because he wanted to. He loves you because he loves you. He chose you because he chose you. And when you cherish your salvation and you know that it's all of God, then you want godliness more than anything because you want that relationship with the one who loves you and who did everything to love you. That's why God has given us everything we need because God's not going to let anything stop him from loving us. And so Peter says, if you live in this way, you will have, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom. You might say, what does that mean? Right, because we don't live this way to earn our salvation. We don't earn our way in, right? These things are not our like get in to heaven card. Jesus bought that for us. Our entrance is Jesus. So what is he saying? Well, first, right, he's saying, if you want to, he's saying confirm your election, right? So how do you know? How do you, what's, how do you know? Have I been elect or not? Have I been saved or not? Well, think of it this way. If you're, if you're hiking, you want to know if you're on the right trail, if you're on the right path. So, you know, just this week I was, I was hiking the AT with a friend. And at one point we look up and we see the trail markers and they're blue. And you might know that the markers for the AT are white. So we saw those blue markers and we thought, oh no. We turn around and we had to walk, we had to walk 20 minutes until we got back on the right trail. You want to know that you're on the right trail? You want to see the white trail markers for the AT? You want to see that you're on a path that's leading into heaven, that Jesus has put you there? Are you putting on these qualities? Are you making every effort to have virtue, knowledge, brotherly affection, love? That's what the, pay, that's what the path looks like. Those are the markers. And it's a richly paved entrance. That means it's not just like, oh, you know, this is the way you know. It's the way, it's a, it's, a, it's a way that's like paved in gold. Like if we put on these qualities, we will have life. We will have joy. We will have delight. We will enjoy life. We will feel richly provided for if we live in this way. But if we decide, you know, we're not going to make every effort. We're going to make some effort. We have intentions of making effort. Well, you know, you know what road is paved with good intentions? <laughs> the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And friends, that's, that's, that's scary, right? Because we, right, we just said we fail. We don't make every effort. We hold back. There's things we want more than, than exerting effort. So how can we have assurance? How can we have assurance? This is how you can be assured. Jesus' entrance into glory 
was paved with death so that when we fail, our entrance can be paved richly. Jesus will provide what we need and keep us on the path because his path into glory was paved with being born into poverty, being mistreated, being arrested on trumped-up charges for things he didn't do, being killed by the state, being killed by the religious elites, and the wrath of God poured out on him so that when you fail, God's wrath won't be poured out on you. If you belong to Jesus, you can have assurance that when you fail, you will be forgiven. And when you need more in order to give all of your effort, to make every effort, Jesus will provide. He didn't enter into glory by the way of death to leave you on the side of the road. And to the extent that you appreciate and understand and grasp the love of God, that Jesus did that so that nothing could keep him from loving you, so that he could save you, then you will be moved to make every effort to love the God who loved you first. Let's pray.